Thanks for tuning in to today's Horsewoman podcast. Our show explores women in the horse industry as they share their dreams, challenges, successes. What drives these women? Well, let's find out. Good morning. This is Rose Cushing, and I'm the host of today's Horsewoman podcast. I'm very honored today that my guest is Marguerite Ayers LeBauer, and Marguerite is kind of a legend in the quarter horse industry. She's done a lot of really interesting things with horses over the years, an excellent trainer. So I think you're going to enjoy getting to know a little bit more about her. So Marguerite, tell us a little bit about you and how you came into horses. Well, it's funny, Rose, you say legend, and um, I don't know if legend necessarily fits. Um, I do feel like I've done a whole lot of different things with my horses over the years, and I think, uh, you know, maybe my history as a kid is the thing, you know, in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, I'm still sort of known for some of those things, and I think part of that is growing up in Colorado uh, as a youth kid showing quarter horse, I was surrounded by great trainers, great mentors, people who, you know, are still household names, Bob Avila, um, Al Dunning, John Hoyt, um, but not only that, my fellow youth competitors uh, that I was showing in the show ring almost every weekend in those days, so many of those childhood friends are now the, the top of the food chain in the quarter horse industry now. Um, Leslie Wagner, which is now Leslie Lang, uh, she was a legend in Western riding, uh, just to do beautiful lead changes with horses before anybody knew how to do that. And uh, she, she won the all-around title for the Rocky Mountain Quarter Horse Association many times. She's now a quarter horse judge. She's judged the world many times. She's won many world championships in trail and Western riding. Uh, Eighty-eight. Um, we've been watching his son rope at the National Finals Rodeo every night. Uh, he won a round night before last, but J.D. went to the National Finals for the first time when he was 15. I think I was 13 then. Um, and he's, he's now won many super horses and had many, many, many world champion roping horses. Uh, Ross Burke and Luke Castle, uh, they were being hauled in those days by Denny Hassett. And I had halter horses also, and all those two boys talked about was how they wanted to be halter trainers. And uh, several years ago, I had the honor of, of interviewing Russ Rourke when he got his 100th world championship in halter uh, at the world. And uh, I just told him how proud I was of him to have been there when, he, when we were kids, knowing that that's what he wanted to do. Um, Luke Castle, Luke's had probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 world championships in halter. And he does a lot of horses for Terry Bradshaw's halter program. Um, Holly Hover. Holly Hover was another one. She was a great all-around rider, great Western rider. Uh, she's an AQHA judge. Uh, she's judged the world multiple times also and had a lot of clients with world championships. So growing up in that environment, uh, there was just all, there were all kinds of good things going on all around me. And, and uh Great mentors, I mean, mentors that you come out of the ring and be frustrated with a pattern or frustrated with something you did, and they say, hey, you know, you needed to loosen your reins, or hey, you needed to use more leg, or sit deeper in your seat next time and you stop, or it was just a time when everyone was helping everyone, and the quarter horse industry was exploding, uh, which was pretty fun to watch. I mean, I look back on that and realized how many foundation fires were being made then. Uh, 
when I was a kid, Conclusive was grand champion at the National Western Stock Show. And I actually got to hand Jerry Wells his, his grand champion ribbon. And that was a pivotal moment in the quarter horse industry because every single horse today, and this is not a lie, every single horse that is top 10 at the world in halter has Conclusive in its pedigree somewhere. Right. So everyone pivoted to Conclusive uh, after he he won the world. I think he won the Congress, but he was kind of this this new modern made, you know, a little more stretchy, uh, different looking, not as you know boxy uh, kind of quarter horse. And so Halter immediately pivoted to, to Conclusive. So I mean, I, I got to live a piece of history, uh, and it's, it's interesting to to see you know, where the halter industry has gone uh, as a result is conclusive. Um, so with my own horses back in those days, I had a, a mare that was actually bred in North Carolina that my aunt found for me. Uh, she was raised by a guy named Charlie Gant, and her sire was Hank Speckdeck. And sort of the two, if you want to say, legendary things I, I did as a kid were um, she was a fabulous Western Pleasure horse. And when I was 11, about midway through the show season, my trainer picked up and left and, and moved to Las Vegas, which broke my heart. It was Don Wyatt. Uh, great showman, great trainer, just taught me tons about how to present a horse in the ring. And I was feeling really lost when he, when he left. Uh, but I had the, the guts, since I didn't have a professional to help me show my horse, my dad convinced me that, I needed to show at the National Western Stock Show and the Junior Western Pleasure. And we're talking Junior Horse Western Pleasure. Um, that horse show in those days for quarter horses was one of the most prestigious, as I just mentioned, conclusive, getting his grand there. Um, there were 113 entries in the Junior Pleasure class. I don't even remember how many splits. Um, every single trainer I saw in the pages of the Quarter Horse Journal was in that class. Benny Hassett, Benny, Betty Wells, um, as if the list was long, Sonny Jimmore, <clears throat> and uh, I was 11 years old, and that mayor and I won the Junior Pleasure class. And I've never had so many people come up and congratulate me, uh, Carol Rose, Tommy Mannion. Um, I felt like a, a rock star for about 10 minutes, which was pretty amazing. Um, so then I decided to make that horse an all-around horse because all of my older sort of youth kid friends that I looked up to, like Leslie. Wagner, um, Randy Strain, um, Holly Hover, they all, they all had won the Rocky Mountain All-Around, Rocky Mountain Quarter Horse Youth Association All-Around. So I was like, all right, I'm making my pleasure horse into an all-around horse. So I think it was 1980. It was 1980. Um, basically, in those days, to win that title was a trailer race. You went to every single horse show, and you showed in as many classes as you could every single day. Uh, which for me was between 13 and 18 classes. Um, we started with halter, did showmanship, hunter under saddle, um, equitation, sometimes hunter hack, barrels, holes, um, breakaway roping, western pleasure, western riding trail. Um, I've never shown in so many classes and sh uh, changed clothes so many times in my life, but I actually did get to win the title, which I think that's still my most, my most coveted belt buckle. Um, and after that, I ended up, I went to college after that, so I kind of stopped showing quarter horses, uh, and I did the intercollegiate team at Holland College my freshman year, uh, which was a whole whole different deal, but the same, the 
thing I realized from intercollegiate was, uh, and this is not to take anything away from, from the Hunter people, but they just come up through different sort of trajectories and quarter horse people. Um, having ridden and trained so many horses in so many disciplines growing up, I could hop on a horse and, and pretty much get it around the pen pretty well. Um, I went to I went to nationals, um, drew a really bad horse at nationals, so I didn't place, which was a real bummer because I I did well that year, that whole season, and then just did not get a good draw. But you know that's horse showing, as they say. So right, that's sort of the, the back the back history. Uh, you want to go into more more recent history. Well, I want you to tell us about what you've been doing lately. Well, so so more lately, um, I, you know, I've never really been a professional trainer. Um, my career, which really was a, a result of, of showing horses, uh, I got roped into being the, the reporter for the Rocky Mountain Quarter Horse Youth Association because no one else wanted to do it. So I ended up writing a column every month uh, for the Quarter Horse Journal and loved that and decided that, wow, I think I, I think I want to be a journalist. And that evolved into um, being a TV news reporter for, for 20 years, first here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And then from here I went to the ABC affiliate in Boston and, uh, and did that for almost 10 years. Um, so I've, I've always dabbled in horses during that time. Uh, showed a little bit when I could, like when I lived in New England, I decided I wanted to learn how to do dressage. Uh, and I took my, was actually the daughter of the pleasure horse that I had as a kid. I took that horse and um, made her into, into a dressage horse. And uh, it, just because I wanted to learn those tools, and I had amazing people available to me at that time to, uh, you know, being in New England, you know, Grand Prix riders and people from Europe. And I really wanted to add those skills to my toolbox, which I totally enjoyed. And I have to say, I mean, I think that took my riding to a whole other level. And every, everything I learned in that dressage saddle, I use now for equitation, teaching horses to swap leads, getting them soft, um, getting control of their bodies. I mean, all those things that no matter what discipline you're doing, those things are, are really good tools to have. Um, so in more recent years, since I've been back in North Carolina, uh, which has been uh, since 2005, um, my daughter and I showed quarter horses quite a bit um, in North Carolina. Um, we both had hunt seat horses, and we both did equitation. Um, we're both North Carolina North Carolina high points in equitation. Um, and I had a, a mare that was she was kind of a reject. She had um, PSSM, which is polysaccharide storage myopathy, and she had it so bad that. The people who owned her uh, would put her in the round pen, and I mean, she her muscles would lock up in three minutes trotting around in the round pen. Um, and wow. so they they were either going to put her down or, or get rid of her. And the girl who owned her knew that I had a horse who had PSSM and had been able to fix it. So she kind of appealed to me and said, "Why don't you take this mare and see what you can do with her?" And I said, "Well, you know, let's make it legal. Throw in her blanket, and I'll pay you 150 bucks for." Her. So I bought this mare for $150, um, and she was my project at that time. And uh, thanks to Ginger Reagan, Reagan Equine, I mean, we spent a year and a half tweaking her diet and trying to figure out what are the secret things, what is the magic that's going to keep this horse from having you know, these tying up episodes. And, I mean, it was this long list of things that we had to figure out, but we finally got it figured out. And once we got it figured out, I had a, a fabulous daughter, a size blue boy, to show. 
um, that needed a lot of management, but uh, we ended up being High Point in North Carolina in the equitation and uh, went to um, the Novice Championship. Uh, and it's kind of a long story. I mean, I say this before showing, but there were three judges. Uh, I had two judges put me in the top three, and then uh, the third judge gave me a zero uh, in the finals. So I got 15, which was a big bummer, but I was still super proud of what I did with my $150 horse. You know, and everybody said to me, I had a beautiful ride, you know, and really you already won. You brought a $150 horse to, you know, to the big horse show. So I try to focus on that rather than, um, you know, not, not getting what I thought I deserved. But that sort of leads to uh, the new horse I have now. Um, my husband and I just bought uh, actually my first reject my first non-reject show horse. Uh, we just got him back in March. And, uh, you know, I was telling you before, this horse was started right. He doesn't have any baggage. He doesn't have any health issues. Um, so instead of starting 15, back, 15 steps back on the starting line, um, I finally get to start on the same starting line with everybody else, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So I want to I go, go back to the world show with this horse now that I'm a, a select. Um, and I'm in the process now of trying to get back in shape and trying to trying to make it feel like it did 10 years ago. And it's, uh, it's turning 50 is a thing. Um, I, I really had to fight hard to to get back in shape and you know get back in the, in the groove of riding every day, training. And, but it's you know it's going to be a fight, but it'll be worth it. Um, and I'm I'm really enjoying the horse. He's um, his daddy is no doubt I'm lazy. Uh-huh. Uh, his mommy is um, a little sister to making me Willie Wild. Uh, so he's, he's big and he's black. Um, bred to be a Western pleasure horse, but he's a reject because he's 17 hands. Wow. So he's <laughs> he's going to be an equitation horse instead. <clears throat> and then Rose, you know, I remember I'm, you're talking about what I've done in, in recent history. Um, and I remember you and I met because... And I don't know how you found out about us, but uh, you and I met, what, in 2019, 2018, uh, when I ended up with little Ella 10 years old, in my backyard with her favorite lesson horse that her parents bought her right. uh, that quickly fell apart and became dangerous and was stumbling and spooking and rearing over in cross ties. And Ella went from loving and enjoying her favorite horse to being devastated because she was kind of scared to even be near her. Um, and I, when I went to pick up the horse at the bar and I, I put her halter on and went to lead her out of the stall and she crashed into the side of the stall door and I looked at the mom and the daughter and, uh, waved my hand and saw the horse's face and said, you guys have a blind horse. And we think the horse went blind, probably going blind when they bought it and they just didn't know any better. And this was the horse that Ella fell in love with and unfortunately, um, a matter of months later, and the horse was completely blind. Wow. So um, I, I told the mom there, Julia, the mom, and Ella, um, immediately, I said, you know, you guys, you can't do anything with this horse. I don't even know how we're going to get this horse on my trailer to, to take it home. And Ella said, oh, no, it, it'll go on the trailer. Uh, we, we've had it on the trailer. It'll go on the trailer. So we lead it out, we lead it out to the trailer. And I step up onto the trailer, and at this point, my mind is completely blown. I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do with this disaster? I want nothing to do with this. And the mayor hears me step up onto the trailer, and she blindly starts feeling forward with one of her feet, like, all right, I know there's a trailer in front of me. I don't know exactly where it is. 
So I said, Ella, um, grab her foot and, and stick it up on the, on the trailer. And the mayor takes one step forward, one step back, sort of feels where the trailer is and hops right up on the trailer like, all right, and stands there. Wow. Like, okay, I don't know where you want me to go if you can tell me, you know, position me in the trailer. So I start pushing her body over and, you know, get her in position and close the divider in this plant world. And I started crying at that moment. I'm thinking, this poor horse. Yeah. I can't imagine. And she's just the sweetest horse in the whole world. So we get her back to my place, and I pulled Ellen, her mom. Um, I mean, the mare was still very fearful. We got her off the trailer, and she's spinning around in circles, dragging me across the riding lines. And I looked at the mom and Ella, and I said, you know, I... I need some time with the horse to just figure out what in the world we're going to do. You know, she's dangerous just to be leading. So she just was just spinning in circles, pulling me everywhere, bumping into everything, almost falling down. So over a period of weeks, I I, I guess I kind of convinced her to, to let me be her seeing-eye human. And with things like trying to get, in out of, get her in and out of a stall, like just like getting her in and out of a trailer, Using, you know, using your, your hands to sort of guide her and, you know, push your ribcage over. And, and, and I'd always put my hand in front of her nose, like, all right, I'm not going to let you bump into anything. So over a period of a couple of weeks, she really figured out, okay, I'll let her guide me. You know, my world would be a lot safer, a lot less scary. So I started teaching Ella how to lead her, you know, how to get her in and out of her stall safely. And we taught her the magic word, which was death, which meant... I would stop her, and if the footing was going to change, like if we were going up and down, or up or down, you know, because I have a little ramp that goes in and out of my barn, a little concrete ramp, or if she's going over the threshold in her stall, okay, Ty, you know, you, you need to, to take a step. And she learned that that meant that she needed to feel forward with her feet. So that helped her so much, because any time there was a surprise coming, you could stop her and just say, step, and same thing getting her out of the trailer. So that was a huge step forward, if you will. Um, so then Ella, not knowing any better, is saying, well, when do I get a ride? When can I ride? When can I ride? And Julia, mom, is saying, Ella wants to ride. And I'm saying, well, my daughter's world champion equitation horse is out in the backyard. Um, why don't you ride that, Ella? My daughter's in college, and she wanted no part of any other horse. She was so bonded to her horse that she was not interested at all in riding another horse. So Julia, the mom, is just begging me to get Ella back on her horse. And I'm saying, this is the dumbest thing in the world. You guys are nuts. This is a really, really bad idea. Well, a combination of those horse mentors and friends that I was just talking about. Um, when I lived in New England, I had a childhood friend who was the uh, crew chief for the Budweiser Clydesdale. And one of the things that they used to do with those horses was blindfold them and drive them. And the idea was that when you get those big horses in a parade and they've got all kinds of things going on around them, if you can teach them somehow that in the midst of all that chaos, they need to focus on you, that, that their safety is with your cues and what you tell them to do. So Tom Eldridge taught me that trick. Uh, and then my vet, Ginger Reagan, sort of smiled at me. She came out here and was doing some work um, and confirming that I was, and actually Mallory Bradbury, her associate, both of them, um, you know, they confirmed that Ty was completely blind. There was, there was no sight to be had at all. Um, but Ginger sort of laughed at me and said, well, you know, you've had all these other misfit horses. People do ride blind horses. Go for it. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. 
so only because I poured Ella so much and she's just such an awesome kid. I decided to, to try riding Ty. Um, and she she was very well broke before Ella got her. Uh, the folks who had her prior, you know, they did a really good job with, you know, she had good buttons. She'd been a Western pleasure horse, but, you know, now she's blind, so everything's different. So my first issue was she was literally dizzy. She didn't go up from down. She didn't have any orientation in space. And... I guess one of the, the things that helped me understand that was um, my daughter's equitation horse that I was just talking about. When she finished with him for a while, we donated him to uh, Bright Star Stables. And Brad and Heather Glazer, who run a handicap program, a special needs riding program, you know, an EWD, Equestrians with Disabilities. Um, so when we donated her horse, little did we know that we were going to get roped into helping to coach and helping at horse shows and helping groom, braid, get the kids dressed, you know, coach. And that turned into a really life-changing experience for my daughter Rachel and I, which was learning so many things from these kids who show up at the barn with their wheelchairs and their crutches. And um, you really get this and Brad's the one who really emphasizes this, Brad and Heather both, that, okay, these kids have limitations, but we're going to focus on what they can do and go from there. Right. And I saw a, a blind boy riding, and he was going around the ring, walk, trot, and lope, and he was on this horse that just was his eyes for him, you know, that didn't, didn't uh, you know, hit the fence, just went around on, on the rail like a good old Western Pleasure horse. And for this kid's mother, she would sit here and watch this blind boy ride. And this was the only, she would cry, and she would say, this is the only time my son is free. This is the only time that my son can feel motion through space and the wind in his, in his face without anyone else's help. He's free. And witnessing those things helped me with the blind horse. And it was my daughter who said, Mom, you know, look at everything that, that Brad and Heather do with these kids. You've got a special needs horse. Just just take all your tools and you now have a special needs horse to figure it out. So I, I really tried to apply that mantra of, okay, let's figure out what she can do and go, she can do and, and go from there. And... Uh, so with Ty, one of the big things initially was she didn't want to go forward because she was worried about bumping into things. So I had to gain her trust, like, okay, I'm not going to let you bump into anything. And then it was orientation through space. And there were times that I would even be just walking her in the rain, and she would sort of fall sideways or her back end would go out, you know, out from under her. And I realized that she needed me to help her stay upright. And so that became, okay, let's ride this horse just like a dressage horse between my hands and my legs. And as long as Ty had those reference points, as long as there was connection with the bridle and connection with my legs to keep her, keep her oriented through space, I, from there I could walk, trot, canter her. And as long as... I could keep her balanced. I mean, there were times when she would, you know, her shoulder would drop or her ribcage would go sideways or, 
you know, and as long as you could kind of bring her back with your hand and your leg and keep her upright and you didn't let her bump in anything, I could walk, trot, and canter her around the ring. So Western pleasure was not going to happen anymore because you really couldn't ride her on the drape. She was just too insecure and too worried about what she didn't know because you weren't sort of helping her with that connection between your hand and your leg. Um, so I finally got Ella back on her back, and Ella had been begging me to ride this entire time. So I get Ella back on her, and Ella is this, this God-gifted young rider, very, very beginner, but could completely feel her horse underneath her. And in a very short period of time, Ella picked this up with, oh, I, I just felt her shoulder drop. Oh, I need to pick her shoulder up. And within two months, Ella and Ty are walk-trot cantering around my backyard like a normal horse and a normal rider. And I'm out there riding my other, my other project, who's a regis, this horse named Cash, who um, he was pretty much bronked out by a colt breaker, broken by the colt breaker, um, and he's, he's my other project. That I, tell, I tell people he broke the colt breaker, and now I'm trying to fix him from there because he, he's been a bronx, but he's gotten a lot better. So I was riding him, and Ella was on tie, and I just looked at her, and I said, I am just beyond proud of you for what you've accomplished with this horse. You look like a normal horse and a normal rider. If I didn't know your horse was blind, I wouldn't know. So Ellen gets this big smile and says, well, when are we going to the horse show? And I say, Ella, we can't, we can't take blind horse to a horse show. No, no, no. You know, this is our own little bubble in the backyard. And the other thing was we had to drag the ring. Every time before Ella, Ella rode, we had to drag the ring. Because one bad step and step and Ty would just go tumbling. Um, that happened multiple times. And Ella would pick herself up, herself up out of the dirt and get back on her horse. And I'd be like, good God, this kid's going to get hurt. So... My, I'm telling my daughter this story, and uh, my daughter's laughing and she's saying, "Yeah, that's putting a lot of a lot of faith in the other competitors to put, you know, blind horse and in a in a kid in the in the ring like that." And she's reminding me of the time she was at State Fair Youth Day uh, on her big gelding, the one that Bright Star had for a while, Kelsey Nova, and uh, she was at State Fair Youth Day, and she was one horse space off the rail, and Kelsey Nova's like 16 too. And this tiny little pony took its dart right underneath Kelsonova's neck, straight for the rail. And Kelsonova jumped bigger than I've ever seen him jump to avoid running over this tiny little kid in this runaway fire-breathing dragon pony. And Rachel uh, was at a canter, so Rachel lands on the wrong lead, and we had this we had this uh, secret code when she was showing, and Ella had it too when they were uh, when they were showing. If I yelled fried chicken, they were on the wrong lead. If I yelled cupcakes, they were on the wrong diagonal. So I'm yelling across the state, you know, across the hunt complex, fried chicken, fried chicken. So Rachel does a flying lead change in the class, gets back on the correct lead. But Rachel's reminding me of, you know, you're going to do this with a blind horse and you've got kids in the ring like this? But then she says, wait, Mom, we're thinking about this the wrong way. We took, blind, we took special needs children to horse shows. Why can't we take special needs horse? You know, the Bright Star Stables kids, they all wear bright green. Everyone knows, you know, to steer clear of those kids. Be careful. Don't run them over. Don't cut them off. What if we can color code tie like they do, you know, horse that kicks at a horse show where they put a red ribbon on its tail? So we're thinking pink braids. So we say, what about pink race for Ella? And I was like, no, I hate pink. So we decided to go with Carolina Blue. 
So then I'm calling the um, Phyllis, who runs the, the local Lake Waccamaw Horse Show Association, and I'm saying, Phyllis, um, do you mind if I bring a blind horse and a 10-year-old kid to a horse show? If we spray, if we braid it with blue pom-poms, would you guys mind making an announcement and telling the other kids to be careful so that uh, Ella can show a horse? And so Phyllis just says, sure, we'll do that, no problem. So we take Ella to a Lake Wasimaw show, and they make an announcement before every class. And Ella does great. I mean, Ella's driving like a New Yorker in traffic. I mean, her head's spinning around like an owl trying to avoid this horse, that horse, this wreck, that wreck. I mean, Ella did great. But the other kids in the class were just too beginner and didn't have enough ring savvy to make it safe. I mean, by the end of the day, Julia, Ella's mom, looked at me and she said, I'm going to have an anxiety attack watching this. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to need a swear jar bigger than once on the space program because, I mean, I was yelling at kids all day long, you know, get off her butt, give her some space, don't cut her off, I mean, all day long. So Julia said, you know, Ella really, really wants to show. Is there another place that we can show? And I'm thinking, good God, I don't know. And then it dawned on me, well, Ty is a registered paint. We could go to registered paint shows, but that's going to be more civilized. But, you know, you're talking about taking a backyard lesson horse to, you know, registered paint shows. That's a, a lot deeper competition. They might not even let us, but we can try. So I, I called Jeffrey Tate, uh, who's a paint judge and a quarter horse judge who lives in South Carolina. And I said, you know, who do I get in touch with? You know, I don't do paint. Who do I get in touch with? you know, to see if they'll maybe let us try and show. So Jeffrey actually helped us, and we got permission. And we went to some North and South Carolina paint shows. Well, Ella ends up getting high points for the year for North and South Carolina in the equitation division, which then qualifies her to go to the world championship. The last horse show of the season, Julia, the mom, is running back to the horse trailer, and she's got a champion ribbon in one hand and her checkbook in the other. And she's like, you won't believe this, you won't believe this. And I've got, I've got uh, my husband Scott's holding tie, and Ella's taking her saddle off. And Julia says, oh, qualified, she can go to the world championship. And I'm just looking at Scott saying, oh, dear God, no, no. And I look at Scott and I say, uh, Scott, take the water bucket, you and Ella, go, go get some water. I think she's thirsty. And I just looked at the mom and I said, we are not setting your child up for this level of disappointment. This is crazy. We've gone as far as we can go. We are not putting that poor blind horse in a trailer and hauling all the way out to Fort Worth, Texas. No, 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 no. You know, the world show, even with, a, even with you know, a seasoned show horse is just a very, very tough situation. Everything's got to go your way to, to make it work. And Julia looked at me and she said, well, for the first time ever, she turned total tiger mom on me, and she said, I don't care. We've come this far. Ella's fought her way here. We're not stopping now. And I'm saying, okay, but Julia, I don't even think they'll let us bring up a, a, a blind horse to the, the world. That's just nuts. So then I'm, I'm contacting Jeffrey Tate again and Larry Little, uh, who's also a paint judge, and saying, okay, guys, I'm really not crazy. This little girl's amazing. This horse is amazing. Do you think the Paint Horse Association would, would let us bring, bring Ella's horse and let her show? So those two totally went to bat for us. Um, 
I ended up having to get in touch with Dave Gellin, who I think is the, he's like the president of uh, the, horse show, the horse show division for the Pain Association. So I found out later they ended up having two very, very heated meetings at Paint Horse headquarters. And there were two schools of thought. One was, this is a disaster waiting to happen, and it'll be all over the Internet. This will be a lawsuit. This is, this is a horrible idea. These people must be nuts to even think this is even remotely acceptable. And the other school of thought was, this kid qualified. She deserves to be there. So what I found out after we went to the paint world was that the decision that they made was that they would have the steward's eyes on us almost the whole time we were at the paint world. And if there were any safety issues, they were going to pull the plug and say, we let you come here, but we're too concerned about safety and we can't let you show. Well, there were no safety issues. We practiced in the middle of the night when no one else was in the ring. And... We, we got through practicing. Uh, we were there for a week. It took us a week to get Ty used to the footing, the sounds, everything. That was a huge acclimation process. Um, but Ella got eighth place at the paint world on a blind horse. And the judges weren't allowed to know that her horse was blind. Uh, one judge, when she was in the finals uh, at a walk, came walking up beside Ella uh, with her clipboard, it was really funny because she walked up beside her and it was like something strange with this horse and I can't figure out what it is. Well, Ty's ears were going back and forth the entire class. And um, so after Ella placed eight and we got home, I messaged all the judges on Facebook and let them know. And uh, one of the judges said, you know, she said, I knew there was something up. And she said, the way that kid handled that horse was extraordinary. She said, I knew there was something weird with that horse. And the way that kid was able to keep that horse calm and handle it, maneuver it through traffic, she said it was really extraordinary. So what's happened since then, um, Ella has a horse that can see. Um, she's riding with um, Mariah Cuno, uh, who's a, a 20-something upcoming rock star uh, here in Hampstead. She rides at camp, but she trains at Capel Creek Farm for Kevin and Amy Smith, who are just amazing quarter horse people. They own uh, a stallion named Iron Enterprise. Um, and they've built this beautiful facility, and they've really kind of opened their doors to let all of us come over and train and ride. And um, Mariah's helping me with my new Ek horse also. Um, so Ella's now riding with her, and every time I open, open the, um, the Chronicle, Ella's in a win picture with Mariah and their whole crowd. So it's been really cool to see Ella you know, rise to that level. She certainly had the talent in the, in the drive, and so now she's where she needed to be. Um, but what's happened since then is um, my husband uh, convinced me that since I was a journalist for 20 years, I should take a crack at writing a movie script. And we've had just so many people tell us, oh, my gosh, this story needs to be a movie. It's so inspirational. You know, what a great story. Um, and to me, one of the things I love about the story is that it really is so much about all the horse people along the way who lifted us up, who became part of our team and really were there for us and helped us and went to bat for us and supported Ella and supported me. And, you know, that's, that's what horse people do. I don't think people realize it. it. It really is a huge family. And with the quarter horse people, it just everybody helps everyone all the time. Absolutely. Even when the competition is fierce, it's, it's, it's a really special thing. 
Um, and my husband, it's funny because he, um, he's been out to the world show with me multiple times. Um, I've done the, the winter interviews for the Quarter Horse Association, uh, which I love. Uh, it, I get to combine my, my TV experience and my horse experience. And, you know, like I said earlier, I got to interview Ross Rourke when he got his 100th World Championship. But um, my husband's son played junior hockey. I mean, he was headed, you know, headed to the NHL. And uh, Scott said, God, that, you know, the difference between the, the backbiting and the competition in that world versus how all you horse people, you know, you all compete, compete against each other all day and you're congratulating each other and hugging each other when you win and you're all going out to dinner together and you're, you know, helping each other. He said, this is a really amazing world. And, I mean, that's one of the things I've always loved about it is, is you know, those true professionals, they all respect each other and they all help each other. Um, so anyway, my husband said to me, you know, with your journalism experience, you need to write a movie script. So COVID, when COVID started, that was kind of my my uh, my opportunity to you know take a step back and, and take a crack at writing a movie script. And it's been a long process. I will say um, the script at this point has had a lot of major Hollywood eyes on it, and we have a team. Um, that includes some Disney folk, um, the assistant director for Secretariat, um, the former chairman of Paramount, um, and we are we are in the process now of trying to get the brilliant script we need to um, take this thing to Disney, take it to Steven Spielberg. Um, and I tell everyone my goal with this movie, and I, I say this movie because I will not stop until this thing is a movie. My goal with this thing is that we create the movie that depicts the relationship of horse and human like no movie ever has. Um, I see horse movies, and they're all good. I love the War Horse. I think that, that did a good job on the horse and human relationship. But with this, we have an opportunity with a little girl and a horse to recreate that magic that horses provide for little girls. And, you know, I obviously had that magic as a kid as well. Yeah, that's and a great opportunity. I really, I really want to see this thing done in that way. And I've had, I, I have a script agent who's already tried to sell the script. And there was a Canadian production company interested in it. Um, but they wanted to basically buy the script and tell me to go away. And I'm not interested in that. Um, I, I, I want, my vision is that um, like Robert Redford did when he did Horse Whisperer, he enlisted Buck Brandeman to be his technical director because he wanted things to be authentic. And for this thing to be authentic, for us to get the blind horse scenes correct, for us to get the, tra the horse training, all those things, I want those things done right. And so in order for this thing to go, I I've got to be involved. Sure. And... The, the Disney people, that, the people that I'm working with now, now I'll, I'll understand that. Um, my script agent also passed on Netflix. Um, Netflix was interested in it. And she basically said to me, I don't want to waste this 
potential big budget major motion picture on a series. She said it's not a TV series. This needs to be a, a, a major motion picture. So, and we never got an offer from Netflix. They were just interested. Um, but she just said, you know, this isn't a TV series. This is this isn't this is a a big budget project if we do it right. So the the trick now is is taking um, my script. I'm still looking for a collaborator. I'm looking for that right writer who can help me get the script where it needs to be because everyone tells me, okay, once we get the script we need, we will we will hand it to the people at Disney. We will hand it to the, the, the big boys, but you only get one shot. So you need to either knock their socks off or don't bother. So where we are now is, is the process of trying to find a good collaborator to dial the script up. But I, I just love the story. I mean, it's so much about, you know, a mom trying to save her daughter, knowing that horses were her thing, and horses made her happy. And it's about, you know, I was a struggling single mom at that point. Scott and I had just met, and uh, I didn't I didn't need to take this project on, but I, you know, I took the, I took the cue from all the horse people that I adore, which is too bad if you're already struggling, too bad if you've already got too much on your plate. When someone needs help, you step up and help them. Absolutely. That, that's such an interesting story, and I'm so glad that you've shared that with us today. Hey, y'all. This is Lonnie from Mule City Specialty Feeds, located in Benson, North Carolina. It's almost springtime. Is your horse blooming? Does your horse have a shiny coat and healthy hooves? How much extra time and money are you spending mixing supplements in the feed room when you could be enjoying your horse in the arena or out on the trail? Then look no further. Mule City Specialty Feeds has a line of equine feeds that delivers maximum nutrition. From your performance horse to your weekend trail horse, our line of maximum nutrition equine feeds offers five different complete balanced formulas that will take you out of the feed room and into the saddle. In addition to equine feeds, we also offer complete feeds for your barnyard pets and livestock. For more details, visit our website at mulecity.com, follow us on Facebook, or give us a call at 1-800-587-9229. And don't forget, Mule City delivers. Now we'll all be excited for this movie to come out. So, while, while we're almost out of time, but there's a couple more points I wanted you to be able to make. Um, what's left on your bucket list after you get this movie done? Well, the new Equitation horse, um, you know, I, I know I said at the Novice Championships that's worth showing, but that was a big disappointment for me to, to play so highly with two judges and then have the, the third judge just, you know, basically give me a zero in the final. Um, and I don't even know why he did it. No one no one could figure it out. You know, I looked at the cards, and he didn't have an explanation for it. Um, so, you know, you just kind of chalk it up as that floor showing. But, you know, it just leaves you with this, uh, i got to go back and do this again. I can't quit like that. You know, I... So the, the neat thing now, like I said before, is for the first time in a very, very long time... I have a horse standing in my backyard that I chose. He didn't fall out of the sky and land here. You know, I didn't I didn't uh, buy him from a friend who was getting ready to take him to the Bennettsville sale, or, you know, he didn't have PSSM, and, uh, you know, this horse isn't a reject. He's a really, really nice horse. And uh, he was started right. Um, Wendy Lace and Kevin Carr um, in Indiana, they started him, and uh, they did a great job starting him. 
it's wonderful to have this horse that was a, you know, a, a good blank slate. You know, he doesn't have any issues. He's not fearful. He doesn't have any baggage. Um, he had a clean vet check, if you can believe that, knock on wood. I keep telling my husband, oh, I'll break him. Don't worry. I'll ruin him. But, um, <laughs> but I, I really love this horse. I looked at a thousand horses online. I mean, I, I look forever for a new horse. And, I mean, I'll just say it. I, I told my husband, Scott, we're not spending more than $20,000. And I had so many trainers tell me, you're not going to get a world-level horse for that. Are you nuts? Well, that's what we have. So that's what we're going to spend. And we're going to, you know, we're going to go to war with the army we have, which is, but Mariah really likes this horse. And, you know, Mariah's got some fabulous horses in her barn. So for her to say, yeah, I think he's got the talent. I think we can work with this. That's exciting. And yeah. it's exciting for me to work with her because I... I really adore her approach. She's just a very kind trainer. Her horses enjoy doing their job, and it's very obvious when they go in the ring. Um, she's low-key, no drama, no BS, very straightforward. Um, nothing rattles her, absolutely nothing. Um, so I, I really feel like I'm, I'm really blessed to have this, this incredibly talented trainer right around the corner for me because I've never had that before. I mean, I've always had to you know, appeal to this person or appeal to that person. Um, I mean, Jamie Murrow, who's now Jamie English, I used to trail her up to her place and, and you know, with my gray horse, my horse uh, that had PSSM, um, and she, she helped me so much. She was wonderful. You know, which brings up what the point I wanted to make, Rose, about in this horse business, everyone lifting each other up. And I think horse women in this business, they definitely do that. Um, I agree. You know, Ella and I both have this history of, of being bullied in school. And what a difference to go from being bullied in school to being in a horse world where women all work really hard and they all respect each other and they all understand what it takes to do this and what a struggle it is. And they all recognize the importance of passing the torch, which was passed to them, which is taking the time to help someone who needs it. Um, you go to so many of these quarter horse shows and, you know, the horses in the pen that people have spent half a million dollars for, $750,000 for, it's got this world championship and won the Congress. And these trainers, even at that high level, I've seen many trainers with kids who were there. Maybe it's their first quarter horse show experience and their tack isn't that great and their horse is a little rough around the edges and the kids don't really know that much. And I've seen these kids come out of the ring feeling frustrated and really kind of beat up because they, they know they're outclassed. And the trainer's taking the time, hey, you know, I've seen Keith Miller do it. I mean, he's the best hunt seat rider in the country. Uh, I saw him do it at Williamson where there was a kid, a local kid who was up there who really didn't know much. And Keith took her aside and talked her down off the ledge after she had a bad ride and said, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. But the recognition is, hey, we all started somewhere. And if this industry is going to survive, we all need to take the time to help the little guy because that's the bottom of the food chain, the bottom of the pyramid. And if we don't have that bottom of the pyramid feeding up to the top, our horse industry is, is going to struggle going forward because it's already struggling. Um, and I think it's intimidating for the little guys when they look at the money and the, the expertise and the level of horses and trainers when you go to these quarter horse shows. I mean, even in North Carolina, you know, here come the rock star buses and the, 
you know, million-dollar horses and the expensive tab, the $20,000 saddles and the $10,000 show shirts. and the, But those people all recognize they all started somewhere, too. And if we don't continue to feed it from the bottom up with things like the novice program and quarter horse, um, our industry is going to look really different in, in not too long of a time. So I agree, 100%. That lifting each other up is important. But, but quarter horse people do it in spades, and especially the women. You know, the, the friendships and the bonds between the women, it's really amazing. But they're all rock star women. They're amazing. They are, absolutely. So. I agree 100%. And I'm so sorry, but we're out of time. But I appreciate all of your insight into the industry for folks this morning. And I know that they've enjoyed listening to you and learning about your career and the, the Ella story with the blind horse. And we look forward to catching that movie. So how can people reach out to you to stay in touch if they want to continue to follow the story? I would say the, the best place is my Facebook page. It's Marguerite Ayers LeBauer, L-E-B-A-U-E-R. Um, and I haven't posted a whole lot about the movie. I mean, it's, it's been a long process, but whenever there's big news, I will certainly, I will certainly share it. Um, I will say dealing with Hollywood is quite different than dealing with horse professionals. It's a lot of, a lot of uh, trying to weed out who you can really trust and, and who gives you good advice. And that's, but I do feel like we've, we've got a good team now and we're, we're going forward. Very good. So, and when you, when you find out more about it and you're ready to give us more details, I'd love to interview you again about it. I, you'll be the first to know, Rose. I'll be shouting from the roof. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited for you and so happy for Ella. So thank you so much for being on the show this morning. And for you guys out there listening, as always, we really appreciate your time and listening to what we have to say. Take care. Rose, thanks for all you do. You're awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Our souls wander in similar places. Even though we may not know each other, we touch the same wind. We walk under the same sky, and our hearts wander in the same dreams. We are one, women just like you and me. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.